Well, good morning, community of faith. How are we doing this morning? You made it through the cold. It's warm in your heart, right? You know, I am so proud of you. That best gift offering is just an amazing thing that we are able to do all around the globe. And, and I don't know of any other churches that are doing as much as we're doing. And I just makes me so proud of you. I love getting the little kids gifts, you know, because you can tell they dug in the couch for things. And, you know, they've got the, all the, sometimes there's little screws and there's nuts and bolts and we even got a, a little token from a, a strip club down the road, and uh, I won't tell you whose kid that was, but, um, but you know, it's so much fun to, to just uh, uh, see them giving and getting it, too. I don't know about you, but I'm having a lot more fun watching the NFL playoffs this year. I don't know how you felt like that. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting because I was reading uh, about this thing that football players can get called the arrival fallacy. It's, it's a depression that people that win the Super Bowl go into a lot of times after they've won the Super Bowl. And they've kind of, it's kind of like this feeling of, wow, I thought this was, I've been waiting all my life for this goal. I thought this was gonna be it. I thought that was, this was gonna be everything. And is this all there is? And you know, as Americans, especially younger Americans today, I've noticed, we find ourselves with a, a kind of a gnawing dissatisfaction about life. What's the point? Is this all there is? I think it's because we've lost our belief in the transcendent. We've, we, we've lost our belief in the, the, the something more. And that's, that's God, of course. It's the idea of a bigger story than just ourselves. See, I think one of the problems is we're trying to live our what before knowing our why. But we've got to rediscover not only the what, but the why of our existence. Americans talk all the time about the what of existence. You know, what we do for a living, what gender we define ourselves by, what role we play. I'm a business person. I'm a mom. We've even discovered our how. I commute every weekday downtown to to work, I, you know, I, I, I'm the chauffeur for the kids going to all the soccer games and the baseball and ballet. But a lot of times we've never discovered our why. Why we get up in the morning. Why? To find purpose, we have to make sure that our, our what and our how are defined by and aligned with our why. In order to find our why, we've got to understand our context, where we fit in the story. You see, if I'm the center of the story, it's really a rather small, pathetic story, right? It's interesting because there's even a scientific word for what we as Americans have, have come to do. It's called omphaloskepsis. Omphaloskepsis, you know what that is? Navel gazing. It's like we spend so much time looking at our own navel, basically, that we've missed the point of everything because it's become about us. We're trying to live our purpose without understanding our context. But here's the thing, context helps me understand my purpose. You see, the story is not our story. 
But we do have a part. But without context, I miss the point. Or worse, I think I am the point uh, of the story. Moses, in the oldest psalm in the Bible, he's trying to help us find our why. He's trying to give us some context uh, for our lives in comparison to time and eternity. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 90. It says, Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's the oldest psalm in the Bible. I want us just to kind of walk through that psalm this morning and, and see if we can find our context because I think if we can, it's going to give us a whole new sense of purpose. Let's just look at that together. Psalm 90, verse 1, we'll begin with. Lord, said Moses, you have always been our eternal home, our hiding place from generation to generation. Long before you gave birth to the earth and before the mountains were born, you have been from everlasting to everlasting, the one and only true God. From everlasting to everlasting. In the Hebrew, uh, the original language this was written in, it says, from the vanishing point in the past to the vanishing point in the future, you are God. God is our context. I want you just to imagine with me, just kind of use your imagination. Imagine there's like a, a thick silver cord that's running right here all the way across it. And it, it comes through that wall and it goes out that wall. But what you don't realize, it goes forever in that generation. I mean forever. It goes out into space. It goes beyond our, uh, our you know, solar system. Then it goes forever that way too. That represents God. It's, you can't really even imagine something going on forever. But then just imagine on this silver cord that I, I, I got my little pocket knife out and I put a scratch in it. That's our lives. Now, it's so interesting because you lose your purpose when you try to live just in the scratch. Yeah, we want to be present in our lives, but our life is so much more. The story is so much more than this little scratch. But a lot of us are just living these little scratch lives. And so we're missing the point of everything. Moses goes on in verse three. He says, when you speak the words, life returned to me, man turns back to dust. 1,000 years pass before your eyes like yesterday that quickly faded away, like a night's sleep soon forgotten. One day, we will each be swept away into the sleep of death. We glide along through the tides of time so quickly, so quickly gone, like a dream that fades at dawn, like glistening grass that springs up one day and is dry and withered the next, ready to be cut down. Our days soon become years until our lifetime comes to an end, finished with nothing but a sigh. You've limited our life our lifespan, to a mere 70 years. Yet some you give grace to live a little longer, but even the best of our years are marred by tears and toils and in the end are nothing more than a gravestone in a graveyard. We're gone so quickly, so swiftly, we pass away and simply disappear. I want you to see that understanding my place in the great story gives me 
my why. Understanding my place in the great story gives me my why. The truth is, we're not around long enough to be the main characters in the movie. We're not around long enough for the story to be about us. And at first glance, you think, well, that seems kind of depressing, but it's, it's really, if we can understand it, it's not depressing. It's the broader context for life that Moses is giving us here. It's what gives your life purpose. David Needham says this in one of his books. Man was created to be God's ultimate spiritual masterpiece. Created as a flawless prism or diamond. Made to receive and display the otherwise invisible glories of the infinite God into limitless visible colors so that all creation might see God. We've got to realize that what God intended for us in order to live our purpose He had a plan, and he still has a plan. We have to go all the way back. I want you to go back with me in your mind all the way to creation, to the Garden of Eden. He creates all of the the, the world, all of the plants, all of the animals. And on that last day, on that sixth day of creation, his ultimate masterpiece, mankind, he creates Adam and Eve. They're the ultimate creations of God. And as he creates man and woman, he makes them the rulers of this planet. Did you know that? See, he says to them, I give you dominion over everything. It's such an interesting thing, and so many of us have never understood that, that he gave mankind dominion over this planet. See, a lot of times people will ask me, Mark, I don't understand why there's so much evil in the world. I don't understand why this world is so chaotic. I don't understand why there's so much injustice. I don't understand what God's thinking. How can a good God, how can that be? If he's so good, why is it like this? And we've missed the understanding that God gave us dominion. All of these things that play out like that, they're really because... In a way, I mean, in a really strong way, we've really messed up our rulership of this planet. Our first forefathers fell, chose their own way, and there's just been this snowball of that all the way down through. And see, when God gives us that free will, when he gives us that ability to choose and decide, and he's given us a responsibility to rule, he doesn't take it back. And so... You can look and you can see the chaos of our planet, but it's because we have failed him, not because he has failed us. So there's Adam and Eve walking in the garden. It had never rained. Every morning a mist would come up and cover the earth, cover all of the, and and just take care of all the plants and everything. It was paradise. But remember there was that one tree that God said, I don't want you to eat from this tree. You can, you can have everything else, but I'm going to ask you not to do one thing because I love you and I know what's best. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so there it is, this tree in the middle of the garden. 
and they have everything else. They're ruler over all. But the devil comes in the form of a serpent and what does he do? He comes up to Eve, the woman, and he says, do you really think God loves you? Do you really think God cares about you? And she says, well, well yeah, I, I mean, we walk with him every day in the, in the cool of the day. God himself comes and, and walks with us and loves on us and he cares about us. He said, oh, but he's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. The tree right here, see this tree? See this fruit? If you eat from this tree, you will become God. He's holding out. He knows if you eat from that, you will become like him. Now, God had said, if you eat from that tree, you'll die. The devil said, if you eat from that tree, you'll become God. And you know what happened. She ate from the tree. She gave it to Adam. He ate from the tree. And it says their eyes were opened. Now, they died that day, not physically, but that deep inner part of them that was connected to God completely died, withered in the moment. And eventually that caused their flesh to die. So death came into the world. But there was another part of that. See, the devil doesn't tell us total lies because we wouldn't fall for that. He tells us half-truths. There's an interesting thing that happened with Adam and Eve that day. The, the word for God in, in the book of Genesis is the word Elohim. Elohim, it means the strong one. And you can see why Adam and Eve would have named him Elohim because he was the strong one, this one who had life in himself, this one who all moral law, all everything came from him. He was the creator of all. He was life in himself. Well, something happened to Adam and Eve that day. They became their own Elohim. That's what happened. Yeah, they became somewhat like God, but what a puny, tiny, pathetic little Elohim they were. They became their own strong one. And that's what mankind has done down through the years. And they, they began to say, well, moral law comes from me. And, you know, all through the Old Testament, it says this phrase. Every time before Israel was punished or, or, or God, you know, tried to do some things to turn things around, it would say, and they did what was right in their own eyes pretty much describe America today, right? Much of our world today. They did what was right in their own eyes. We have become our own Elohim, our own strong one. There's nothing above us. There's nothing to look to. But what a pathetic, tiny, small story that is. You know, if you think about it, it's an Elohim, a self-centered, sinful, weak Elohim, reflecting our own pathetic, small, self-serving perversion 
of God. Think about human life for a moment. Think about it in, in all of its glory. The little baby just born. Oh, there's nothing like it. I, I, my wife three times had our little babies. And I remember each time how precious it was, how amazing that life came from us. You know, it, it was incredible. Then flash forward a couple of years and you've got the, the little two-year-old toddler learning to be his own Elohim already, you know. And, and it looks like his little hands and feet are screwed on if they were like, all my kids look like little Michelin babies with screwed on hands, you know. Flash forward another few years and hanging upside down on the swing set, all freckles and shining eyes and possibility. And then flash forward another 10, 12 years, 19, 20, beautiful as a man, beautiful as a woman, just everything that, you know, as good as you're ever going to be. And then what comes next? Well, long years of stress, <laughs> some disappointment, betrayal, sorrow, ulcers, stretch marks. And then as it goes on, it turns to impotence. I really want to be important. You are impotent. You know, it's like as you get old, incontinence, hearing aids, the nursing home. Have you ever heard of anyone in the nursing home crawling out of bed, getting up to their feet and saying, I am Elohim? I don't think so. It just continues on. Is this all there is? Relationships that don't pan out exactly like we expected and then the hospital bed and the ragged breathing, the last gasp, and then the ultimate offense to this self-named Elohim, the grave. Because this strong one has no life in himself. What a little, small, pathetic story. It's tragic. Is that all there is? Is that what it's about? This tiny story, this tragic story? No. You see, remember back, even in that very first garden, when man had fallen and God knew it, they had sewed some fig leaves together because for the first time they realized in their innocence that, that they were naked and they wanted to cover. They, we began to cover ourselves. And still we do that. We all have our coverings today so that Oh, you can, if you knew the real me, mm, yeah, so I'm going to kind of put on some of these facades, you know. But God came just like he always came to the garden in the cool of the day. But Adam and Eve were hiding. Remember what he did? He walked through the garden like he always did. And I think with a break in his voice, with a sorrow, he said, Adam. Adam, where are you? Adam, Adam, where are you? 
He knew where Adam was. He was wanting Adam to figure out where he was. Can you feel it? See, it describes us all, that the first Adam, but our rebellion, our perversion of Elohim, it didn't catch the, the true Elohim, the true all-knowing one, the father off guard. Now, he had made a plan from eternity past because he knew it all along. He knew what was going to happen. It was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before it ever happens. Listen to what Isaiah says, speaking about Jesus. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our perversions. Now we tend to think of perversions as, as some of the things that, you know, that, oh yeah, those guys, that's just perverse what that guy did or, or what those people are, are doing. But that word perversion, it really just signifies how we perverted the creation that God intended us to be. It's not what he intended. We perverted it. But I want you to listen. You hear him? He's still calling. He's never stopped calling. But he's not saying Adam. He's calling your name. If you could hear him with spiritual ears, he's calling your name. Mark, Mark, where are you? Listen, do you hear it? Do you hear him? He's still calling just as he did in that garden at the beginning of creation. God, the only true Elohim, the only true strong one. God invites you and me to walk hand in hand with him through our little scratch lives to join in the eternal story, the only story that matters. It's not our story. When I feel the grasp of his fingers, I'm aware that he's touching me ever so slightly, lest I be crushed. Listen to what Skip Moen said. I am the butterfly in his palm. I depend entirely on his grace. So what do we do? Well, Moses tells us in verse 11, he goes on in his amazing psalm, he's, in his prayer, he says, Lord, who fully knows the power of your passion and the intensity of your emotions. So teach us to number our days that we may cultivate and bring to you a heart of wisdom. Moses is saying, if we could see more clearly, we would live more purposefully. But we can't. So we must be taught. If you have to be taught something, that means it doesn't come naturally to you. It has to be taught to you. What does he want God to teach us? Teach us to number our days that we may cultivate a heart of wisdom. Teach. It doesn't come naturally. We See, we tend naturally to live as if we have endless days. Have you noticed that? When you're young just stretches out before you. 
We think we are the silver cord. It just goes on forever and ever. Oh, we kind of know that's not true. We kind of know, you know, it ends at some point, but it just seems endless. What do you do when you have a supply of something that's endless? What do you tend to do? You tend to waste it. You tend to waste it. Teach us to number our days, that our days are numbered. Now, we number things, our days, all the time. Students do it before the big exam. Brides do it before the wedding. Grooms do it before the wedding. Oh, getting really worried, right? Getting cold feet. We do it before the baby's born. We're counting down, you know, counting down to the end of school. We do all kinds of numbering. We prepare. And, and it's interesting because this is kind of an agricultural idea as Moses is, is talking about it. Cultivate. Teach us to number our days because if we can number our days and we can realize how limited they are, it will cause us to grow, to cultivate and reap wisdom, to reap a heart of wisdom. See, wisdom comes through remembering our, our, our days are numbered and that there's a, a broader context, a bigger story, and we're just a small part of it. The story is not about you. You only have a bit part. But here's the amazing thing. Elohim, the strong one, is offering you a front row seat to his amazing story. And it's going to go on and on and on. And he wants us to see it forever. That's why he's opened up that opportunity for us to go to heaven as we step into what Jesus did on the cross for us. I don't understand all of that. I, I don't understand how it all works, but I know that when we step into relationship with our Father, that life does go on beyond this place. But it's numbered here. Oh, we've got to know that. We're going to rule and reign with him forever. We're going to see his glory forever. We're going to take whatever crowns we earn in this life and lay them down at his feet. We're not going to wear them around and go like, check that out, man. Because we know it all came from him anyway, right? So when we get to heaven, we're just going to bow before him and lay those crowns down at his feet and leave them there. I love that. Elohim is offering you a front row seat to his glory to his story I want you to to pray for my friend Frank yesterday Frank and Janine were fixing supper and all of a sudden he had these stroke like symptoms for about 40 minutes he garbled his words he said it felt like his his hearing was underwater he's in the memorial City Hospital today is undergoing a bunch of tests. Pray for Frank and Janine. We went and saw them last night. But here's the interesting thing about Frank. He's 67. We ate at their house recently. And he was telling me, he said, Mark, I finally got it. It took me 67 years to get it. But since they've been coming to Community of Faith, I mean, their life has just changed. And he said, you know, I've been successful, I've started and sold businesses, I've done all of these things. But now I realize it's always just been about me. 
what a puny little story, what a tiny little thing, and, and, and kind of pathetic. He said, I want these, this last quarter of my life to be only about God. I don't have any agenda but what God has for me. And I told him, I said, I love that. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And then he has this yesterday. But I went to see him in the hospital. And he was already back to his normal self. He didn't have any uh, residual effects from whatever happened. But we don't know if it's something major or just something passing. But he looked at me right in the eye as he grabbed my hand in the hospital bed. And he said, I'm not afraid. Because I know every breath I've already given to God. And I said, you're right, Frank. I said, nothing can take you except God's plan. You're right in the middle of it. You can relax in that. You can enjoy that. You can experience that. And I said, but I'm going to pray that he will give you the dream that you told me the other night. That he'll give you some years to live full out only for him and let your light shine for him so we prayed together Frank he looked at me again he goes it's a good feeling to be in God's hands it's a good feeling to know that he's got you I'm not afraid CJ Stroud figured it out he's just 22 you know who he is, don't you? Those of you who aren't football fans, he's our quarterback for the Texans. What an amazing kid, right? I mean, amazing. And how does he have so much poise And at 22? How does, he, how does he stand there in the pocket with those 300-pound linemen about to crush him and, and, and throw the ball like that? And, you know, I, I just, and the whole team loves him. C.J. Stroud became a believer at Ohio State. Now, I didn't know anybody could become a believer at Ohio State, but so God still works miracles, right? But he had had a, a kind of a religious upbringing, but his father, who had a lot of trouble with drugs early in life and then became a pastor, but then relapsed and committed some crimes to get drugs. He's serving 38 years in the penitentiary. And CJ calls him all the time. He said he's finally forgiven his dad for the things that he's done because he came into a real relationship with Jesus. But here's what CJ said in the interview recently. He said, football is my platform, but God is my purpose. Telling the world what Jesus Christ has done for me is all that really matters to me. <clears throat> Suddenly you realize why he has such poise, why he gets it. It's just football. Football's cool. Football's amazing. Football's fun. Football's incredible. But it's just his platform. God, enable me to do as well as you want me to do. Wouldn't it be cool if you went all the way to the Super Bowl? Let's pray that, all right? What a platform, right? That would be. 
God, give him a bigger platform. <laughs> you know, I, I think it looks like maybe next game we play the Baltimore Ravens. Hey, they ain't any good, right? You know, it's like, uh, I think the best record in all of football. That'd be a cool platform if he beats them. I think I'm going to pray that. I don't know what God thinks. I don't know if God has a favorite team, but I think he, he's kind of like C.J. Stroud, you know. Football is my platform. Jesus Christ is my purpose. To share my purpose with the world, God's given me this platform. If you want to have purpose, if you want to have peace, if you want to have no fear, you got to join a greater cause. I think we can do it by just praying this simple prayer that Moses finished this chapter with. He, I began praying this prayer some years ago, but it's a prayer that's been around, obviously, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Maybe you'll want to join me in this prayer. Listen to what Moses said, Elohim. Verse 16, let us see your miracles again. Let your children, let our children see glorious things. Don't you know that the generation of young people in the United States, 80% recent studies have said of the girls in high school are suffering from major depression. Don't they need to see some glorious things? What a good prayer. Let our children in America see glorious things. Let my children and grandchildren see glorious things. The kind you used to do. Let your favor, Elohim, our God, rest on us. Make the work of our hands last. Yes, make the work of our hands last. Why don't you just to close your eyes with me? Front row seat to the greatest story, the story that goes on and on and on who knows what he has for us in heaven who knows if he's going to create new universes who knows if he's going to ask us to be a part of that with him and it'd be cool to be one of his messengers to a whole new planet of beings I don't know what he has in mind but he's saying don't just live in the scratch don't just live for the scratch it's tiny Quit trying to be your own Elohim. You're not good at being God. I am God. But listen, I'm calling your name. Frank, Frank, walk with me. Walk with me. I know the plans I have for you. You don't have to be afraid. CJ, walk with me. All these other accolades are passing. I'm forever 
I give you a front row seat. And then he calls your name. Do you hear him? He calls your name. Walk with me. Step into all that I have for you. I've got so much more. So much more. Father, I do ask that we would step into this today. That we would step into your plan. Some of us have been believers for a long time, but so easy to get caught up in the scratch again. (laughs) To live for this life and this moment and for ourselves. God, we want to get back on your agenda. Show us what that is. Today, many of us in this room right now, we're just saying, God, I want to be on your agenda. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I say yes already. Just show me. And I know, God, that it's going to involve taking that next small right step. And you will show us each step. You don't show us the end. You don't show us even a week ahead most of the time. But you show us our next small right step. Let us keep walking with you, holding your hand. Whether we end up on a hospital bed, we can be at peace. If we win the Super Bowl, we can be at peace. Whatever you have for us, it all goes back to you anyway. Come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God, over us. In Jesus' name, amen.